Hey, Will, like I normally do, I just want to take a moment to tell our listeners to make sure they hit us up on social, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, wherever you might see us. Make sure you're sending us something. Also, you can email us directly at AppalachiaMeetsWorld at gmail.com. If you get a moment, shoot us a line, give us some feedback. Yeah, and wherever you listen to the podcast, make sure you subscribe to Appalachia Meets World. It just helps our podcast, but it also helps you know when we're releasing a new episode. I started to study the creativity and found out what made creative people creative, and then I found clay. And when I found clay, it was like it pushed a button. It lit a light in me, and I, it was something that um, I've never experienced before. Appalachia Meets World, a podcast about place and perspective, but always Appalachian. And don't forget, Will, tonight's episode is powered by SOAR. Shaping our Appalachian region. If you're an entrepreneur out there, especially in eastern Kentucky, check them out. Appalachia meets world. We're back another week. It's Will and Neil. What's going on? Joy and life in Appalachia. Beautiful this time of year. Probably my favorite month of the year when things slowly begin to change. It's not as hot at the end of the day. and It's starting to be a little cooler in the mornings. It's good times. Yeah, it's always a good time in Appalachia. Did you celebrate, I guess we now refer to it as Patriots Day this week? Well, it's been a busy week. I did not take a break to celebrate it. I don't really know how people generally celebrate. You know, people think about the World Trade Centers, but there's also the Flight 93 in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, right in the heart of Appalachia. They have a observance there on Patriots Day. They had it this past uh, Monday for the 40 passengers and crew that sacrificed on that day they have a couple things that go on they have a national day of learning for students you can log in and get virtual lessons they have events they have a live memorial that you can watch virtually and they also have a moment of remembrance they have the wall of names there i've heard i've never been it's a pretty cool memorial on that day they open the ceremonial gate and then they ring the bells of remembrance, I think, for the 40 bells for the 40 people that passed. Definitely, definitely the biggest American tragedy, American moment in time, in our lifetime, I guess. I can remember exactly where I was when I found out. For sure. Me too. I mean, as soon as the date is mentioned, I immediately go back to where I was that morning, leaving a, a classroom on Georgetown's campus, going back to my dorm room to to watch the news. Most aspects of our life have changed because of that day. Uh, it's definitely a day that we will look back on. And our kids may not know what it means right now, but at some point they'll learn about it in the history books as well, like we did World War II and World War One and, and other events like that. So I'm glad that we, we talked about that. Do you have any other, uh, do you have some app news for me today? Uh, I have a little bit. So the ARC Summit was just this week. It happened on the 11th and 12th, they announced a $14 million grant to 43 pop projects. It's the Inspire grant, but in regards to recovery and substance abuse disorder communities that are suffering from that. Also, the, we mentioned last week, but the SOAR Summit is coming October 3rd and 4th to Corbin at the Corbin Arena in Corbin, Kentucky. Also wanted to mention... One small article I saw, Fredonia, New York, they just declared a state of emergency because of their water system. Their infrastructure is so old that they've gotten some negative reviews from the health department. So it's a state of emergency. I think it's just one example of many that could be throughout the Appalachia area for old infrastructure, especially in regards to water systems. So I wanted to mention that and let people think about it uh, when they think about their own water also, the Women's Warrior Summit is taking place on October 6th at the Mountain Health Arena in Huntington, West Virginia. It's a one-day annual gathering of women 
It provides a platform for all women in West Virginia to access empowerment opportunities. So that is actually founded by Elise Smith. She's also a speaker. Some of the other speakers will be Nicole Kidman, Soledad O'Brien, some that you probably heard of. So that's the Women's Warrior Summit on October 6th. And the last piece is an article I saw. It's called Grandma's Favorite Game Day Recipes. It's really appetizers for game day. I wanted to go through. They only list 22. I wanted to go through and see what you thought about them. Awesome. I like it. Let's do it. Hot corn dip, number one. I'd probably be in. I like corn. Number two on the list, ham and cheese sliders. Oh, yeah. Love those. Slow cooker grape jelly meatballs. I would probably partake. Yeah, I'm, I'll go for that. I, I, I think this might be your favorite. Rotel sausage dip. Oh, you know my, you know my heart well. Cheese, sausage, <laughs> and, and Tostitos. Yeah, there you go. Pimento cheese sandwiches. Uh, I mean, I'm a foodie. I would eat them, but that's probably not going to be my favorite. Yeah, this might be sacrilegious, but I'm not a big fan of pimento cheese. I prefer the Polly's Island brand. <laughs> Game day chili. Can't go wrong with chili. It might, it's a little heavy depending on the temp, but, you know, a bowl full. Homemade brownies. Guess it's gotta gotta be some kind of staple dessert at the tailgate. Jalapeno poppers. Yeah, depending on the heat, you know, I'd try at least one. Sausage balls. Of course, you know, <laughs> you know, I'm all about that. Oh, we got another favorite: deviled eggs. Yep, about thirteen of them. <laughs> Party cheese ball. Yeah, I'd do that. Man, are you talking like all of these at the same tailgate, or just these are the most popular? You know how we do it. All of them yeah. at the same time. Yeah, little, I'm for it. Little smoked sausages and grape jelly and chili sauce. Yeah, that's similar to the one you said earlier. So, yeah, I'm in. Muddy Buddy Mix. I don't even know what that is, but I'm sure I'd like it. Creamy overnight fruit salad. I would probably skip that. I got to be honest. <laughs> I'd, I'd pass on that, too. This next one is a – I know it's a Southern tradition, but I, I don't know about it. Southern cheese straws. Yeah, I don't know. It's weird. I don't like cheese straws. I don't know if they're having that at the Southern tailgate in Tennessee, Florida this weekend. I, they probably don't have that. They will probably have this, gumbo. Yeah, they probably will have that. I'm in. I'm, I'm all in. Spinach artichoke dip. Yep, yep. Given the – got to gotta see what I'm dipping in it. Yep, I'm, I'm game. Pigs in a blanket? For sure. Old school. Got a couple more, a couple favorites. Buffalo chicken dip. Yeah, you know I'm in on that. Whole wheat Tostitos is a staple, though. <laughs> Broccoli, grape, and pasta salad. Yeah, I'm probably not doing that. You know, tailgating is not like not like a fruit pasta thing for me. It's it's more of the more of the all this other stuff. Yeah, luscious lemon bars. Uh maybe at the end, right before you go in for kickoff. The last thing on the list: sour cream onion dip. Seems too basic. Probably not. Probably skip it. Is this even a question? What would be your top three on that list? No, it's not. You can name them. You know it's not a question. Deviled eggs, sausage balls, and buffalo chicken dip. I would probably switch the sausage balls to the uh, sausage and cheese dip. Okay. Okay. you know, save the sausage balls for next day. Gotcha. Gotcha. Cold sausage balls. Yeah, you heat them back up. They're good. I wanted to mention, I also wanted to talk about, because that is called, that is grandma's favorite game day. And the guest that we're having on today, it's really a follow-up episode to a a person that we talked about in a previous episode. I don't want to give anything away, but just to mention the word grandma is really what this episode is all about. So I'll just wait for our guest, Brigitte Monjons. To talk about who we're going to talk about today. What do you think about that? Yeah, we better dive right in here, Will, or I'll give it away. All right, let's do it.
episode today, we have an incredibly special and talented guest, Ms. Brigitte Monjon. She resides outside the Appalachian region, but is working on a project with great significance to the region, which I'll let her talk about in a minute. She's a Houston sculptor specializing in portraits, figurines, monumentals, uh, mascots, awards, and posthumous statues with sculptures all across the U.S., She's also an accomplished writer, speaker, mentor, coach, and author with her book, 3D Technology and Fine Art and Craft, Exploring 3D Printing, Scanning, Sculpting, and Milling. So, Brigitte, thank you so much for being on the episode. Wow, it's so weird. Thank you very much. It's so weird to hear an introduction about yourself. You go, she's so interesting. I want to know that person. (laughs) You are incredibly incredibly (laughs) interesting. And it's funny, we were talking before, you used to have a podcast, so you used to be given the introduction, correct? Oh, yes, and I loved it. I And I, I had two podcasts. I had one called um, um, Creative Christians, Three Generations of Christian Women Share Their Thoughts and Experiences of Life. And it was with my mother and my daughter so that we could connect and share some of our growth and things that we're going through. And then I did another one on 3D technology and fine art and craft to go with my book so I could interview some of the incredible people I found. So I just think it's great that you're doing this. I love podcasts. (laughs) Thanks so much. We always ask this question, like most Appalachians are big on history, big on tradition. Our family, Neil and I, we're big on tradition as well. One of the traditions we have, we have appetizers at the holidays. We have this huge spread of appetizers, bigger than the meal. So we wanted to ask you, do you have a favorite appetizer or just holiday dish? My favorite appetizer or holiday dish? Well, because we all eat differently, I would say that our favorite is we're charcuterie people. We like to have a charcuterie tray. We even go camping and have charcuterie. That's our first night out. Just bring out all the veggies and all the cheeses and the crackers and the olives and um, everybody can pick and choose what they like to eat. And that would be my favorite. Yeah, I'm a big cheese person. So you have me at cheese. <laughs> now that we have that question out of the way, can you just tell us a little bit about your career, career, how you got into art and sculpting specifically? Oh, yes. I've been doing it for years. I mean, it started on the beach in Boca Raton in the sand. And then I just, I'm self-taught. So it just went from there and I've had the um, honor of sculpting some really incredible people like B.B. King and Willie Nelson and Bill Monroe and Penny Marshall. I, I do a lot of large pieces like the Grambling um, State Tiger and the Prairie View Panther. I did a monumental sculpture of Eve and I'm probably most known for my monumental sculpture of Alice in Wonderland's Mad Hatter Tea Party that is in Bel Air, Texas, which is really That's cool. Incredible, by the way. With 100, incredible. Thank you so much for the 150 things. People that go to see it go, wow, this is so much more cool than seeing it in pictures. So if you ever come to Houston, look me up and I'll take you and show you some of those hidden things. Um, also, is when I, when I was working... Uh, at one point I had an injury with my right hand and I thought, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I'm a sculptor. How am I going to work? And that kind of threw me into digital technology at an early stage. And I had a friend that was also working with 3D modeling, et cetera. So I began to study um, 3D technology as in 3D printing, scanning, milling. And then I began to incorporate that into my traditional sculpting processes. And when I wrote the book on 3D technology and fine art and craft, it was me really searching the world over to find other artists who were doing the same thing and using this technology in their art. And artists have a tendency to push limits. They make things do what they want instead of what they're supposed to do. That's the, the interesting concept of the creative process with the technology. And now I just love it. I don't know how I would do it without it. Um, It just makes my life so much easier. And I can express to you the process when we get around to talking about what we're going to be working on. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I wanted to have that follow-up question because I know you've, you've transitioned into the digital space in regards to your art, but you also said you were self-taught, but do you have a background in art? I have a, a, like, ever since I could pick up a crayon, I wanted to be an artist. 
Um, I wanted to be one of two things in high school. I either wanted to be into music or art, but I figured I couldn't make it as a musician. So why did I choose art? I mean, the two the two things that most people have a hard time with. Um, but it's it actually ended up being a better thing anyway, because uh, I ended up having lung issues later in life. So um, with with the art, it it it's always been there. It's always been something that I wanted to do. And when I was in my, and I studied creativity for a long time and how, what made creative people creative, because it, there was a point when I felt like creativity was kind of like pulling a wet noodle through a strainer for me. It was really hard for me to grab it. And then um, I started to study the creativity and found out what made creative people creative. And then I found clay. And when I found clay, it was like, it pushed a button. It, it lit a light in me and I, it was something that um, I've never experienced before. So I just started sculpting and kept sculpting. And I am a different type of artist than most artists that you probably meet. We, they call them either a studio artist or a commissioned artist. And I'm a commissioned artist, which basically means I don't go to my studio and create things just to create them. I'm paid to start them before I go in the studio and do it. And uh, there's some pluses and minuses to that. I get to pay my mortgage. That's really cool. And I get to do what I love as, as for a living. Uh, but it's also difficult because you don't always get to do the pieces that you want or that really light your soul. Alice in Wonderland really lit my soul. I, I really love that. I'm, I'm pitching, and I very rarely pitch, I'm pitching a, uh, three scenes of Winnie the Pooh. I love Winnie the Pooh. Okay. And so um, I'm trying to find a buyer for that. And I don't think I'll have a hard time finding a buyer. So it's rare that I pitch, but it's also rare that something comes up and just lights a fire under me. And that's the way it was with the one that um, brings me to the, a Texas girl to the AT, you know? Yeah, that we, we wanted to get into that. And, and I find it so interesting, this transition into the digital space. And we can talk about that process when we talk about the project. Like you said, you know, you mentioned some of your work, B.B. King, Willie Nelson, the, the fellow Appalachian, Bill Monroe. These type of projects take a really long time, even if someone's ready. Like if someone calls me and says, I want a, I want a life size of my whatever, depending on the process that I'm doing. It could take me six months in the studio just to sculpt it. And that is if the client is giving me the reference I need, making sure they contact me back, signing the contract. It took me three years to get the contract signed for Alice in Wonderland. That's a long time of working and pitching a project and not getting paid yet, you know? Right. Um, and then after the six months of sculpting, it depending on um, how it's cast and where it's cast and the foundry schedule, it could take another six to 10 months in the foundry. So I always call it like when a client comes to me, it's kind of like a courtship. We're meeting each other and sizing each other up and telling each other our needs and wants and expectations. And, and then they come back later and they say, okay, we're ready. We've got the money. We know where we want it. We know what we want. Let's get started. With the new project that we want to talk about, I think that courtship may have been done, but you're in the process of raising funds of doing doing other things before the the work actually begins but we want to talk to you about that project we we've been hinting at it but we haven't actually suggested you know we've talked about this person on the show before she's been highlighted in one of our episodes and, and I will go ahead and say it's grandma gatewood who was the first woman to hike the entire Appalachian trail by herself in 1955 at 67 years old so how did this come to be? Well, I think you have to talk about my other part of my passion. And that is that I love to hike. That's where I find my peace. That's where I find myself. A while ago, I, you know, I would, I would go into the woods and I would tell my daughter, I call my daughter and say, I'm going into the woods. This is the trail I'm on. I should be out in an hour and a half. And she would go, oh, great, mom. I have your GPS. I know her to send them to find your body. And so... Uh, she said she was really uh, hesitant and really wanted me to to not hike alone. But for women, it's it's really hard because you do feel this anticipation of is this safe for me? Uh, you know, whatever. And can I go? Men have don't ever have to worry about that. 
I started a group, a Facebook group here in Houston. I'm in Houston, Texas. And um, it started out with just me wanting to go into the woods and be safe. And now we're up to 15,700 women in Houston who are hiking. The thing that's been so spectacular about this group for me is that we meet women right where they are. They are. So if a woman posts on the Facebook group, um, I have a two-year-old and I really want to go hiking, but I'm not like sure how I can do it. But And then 15 other people go, I have a two-year-old too, and I want to go in the woods. Let's all go together. It doesn't matter where you are in life. We also are so helpful to other women. So if a woman says, I'm not quite sure, you know, you hear the word hiking and you think backpack, mountain climbing or whatever, but it could just be a walk in the woods. So we help women with taking the first step and then the next step and the next step. And it's just been an amazing group of women who have helped each other to um, find themselves just like I was trying to find myself, my health and my mental health, my physical health, et cetera. So when I came upon Grandma Gatewood, which several years ago, and I just went, oh my gosh, here is a woman who is like the epitome of what we we're trying to do by her very existence and what she has done going into the woods at 67 and hiking the Appalachian Trail. I'd say at Appalachian, I'm sure I'm saying, <laughs> I'd just say AT from now on. Um, what, if I start saying y'all and fixing, you'll know that I'm from Texas, right? <laughs> she was the epitome of what we do in her very existence. She was helping women to feel courageous about doing things on their own, about getting out there and walking. I was so touched by her story that bought the book, read, got the movie, bought the book, showed the movie at my home with some Houston women hiking. And then I called, I tried to contact Paul Maxwell because I thought someone has got to do a sculpture of this lady. Somebody has, somebody's probably done it already. And then I found that Paul a couple of years ago was trying to do this. And Paul Maxwell is with Ohio Valley Memory Gardens and um, from her hometown where she's buried. And he had the same idea. So I don't know, maybe nine months ago, I called pa Paul finally called me back and I went, didn't I contact you like here and now? Yes, it's been slow going, but we're ready to get going on this fundraising. And I said, I'm just going to let you know. If you bring me on board and you hire me as a sculptor, I am going to be much more than the sculptor. I am going to make this happen. And he said, all right. <laughs> so Paula and I got together and now we have this wonderful fundraising committee. Um, my daughter is actually my co-admin at Houston Women Hiking and an incredible woman um, that is in marketing and creativity. And so she is on board as well. Betty Lou Higgins is the artistic director of Eden Valley Enterprise, the producer of the movie, and she's on board. Anne Van Curen, you may know, she's an actress that transforms Grandma Gatewood and plays her in, it's just incredible. Diana, I think her last name is Meower. She's actually on the trail right now, somewhere, I don't know where, but she hopes to finish by Thanksgiving. A lot of people may know Jessica Dixie Mills. She's on the, um, the social media uh, personality and she's on it. And then Matt Easter is the mayor of Rio Grande, Ohio, and he is on the fundraising committee. So we have a nice group of people that are starting to raise funds. The difficulty we had at first was, first of all, I had to ask Paul, you know, he had a, a GoFundMe page, which you can find on GrandmaGateway.com. The links to everything is on GrandmaGateway.com. So he had a GoFundMe page, but I said, Paul, how do you know how much this cost? If you haven't had an artist, so well, he contacted a foundry, et cetera, et cetera. And the one stipulation that I had with Paul, I said, if you bring me on, we are not just doing one for Ohio. We have to bring Gamma, Grandma Gatewood back to the AT. Yes. She has to be placed somewhere along the AT. And um, he said, well, if you think you could raise the funds for two, and I only have to sculpt one, but we cast two. And I said, right. I'm sure we can, we can raise the funds for two. That's the tagline. Grandma Gatewood's coming back to the AT. We don't know exactly where yet, though, right? No, we're working with a couple people. And it's not easy because there's so many political things, administrative things that have to take place. I didn't even know like there there is like the AT corridor. And that's that is like 
people's property, but not people's property and what can be put on there and how close could we get? And that was my thing, as close to the AT as I can get so that when people are hiking it, they can go and see her and pay tribute to her, take pictures of her, stand next to her, pretend to be hiking with her. That was our goal. So we can't yet visit this as who is where it's going to go, but everybody is really excited about it. And uh, we should know within the next 30 days and be able to send out a press release about that. So yeah, it is great news. We've been working with the family to commit to a pose, what kind of clothes, trying to find the exact clothes. Uh, We just had a photo sitting last month in my studio with the women from Houston Women Hiking are so excited. We had one event where a bunch of ladies came and we you know, we brainstormed about poses and what would it be? And have you seen the movie and what do you get from her? And, and then another woman, you know, that Brown and Gatewood had a satchel that, you know, a sewn sack that she had over her shoulder. And so another woman is into sewing and she, you know, studied the satchel and tried to figure out how to make that, um, how stuffy it would be, what it would be stuffed with. I had to order period clothes on the internet so when all that came, we have Grandma Gatewood pose in my studio and I took reference shots. So that we were able to then get approved by the family. So that's a huge step forward. Um, now, depending on how I, how much traditional and how much digital I'm going to do, um, this process could change. So Right now I'm set on, I'm going to do a small maquette, which is a a small version, maybe 20 inches tall of Grandma Gatewood. And everybody sees her as this picture of her standing forward with her satchel over her shoulder and her stick in her hand, you know, and to me, I, I look at that and, oh, I must say, I have sculpted a lot of deceased loved ones. And let me interject this right here in that. There's some strange things that occur when I'm sculpting deceased loved ones. And there's this connection that happens between me and the deceased. I've done podcasts on it. I mean, it's really weird, but um, that connection usually happens through the people that knew and loved her. So I love to hear from those people who are inspired by Grandma Gatewood, who um, knew Grandma Gatewood or are now. So if you are out there, please go to the blog, make a comment on it because you are going to inspire me and bring that connection between this incredible woman and myself as far as um, the sculpture goes. I saw a blog post that you had. How do you start a sculpture of a person you know nothing about? It sounds like you're involved in that process currently to find out as much about Grandma Gatewood as possible. But also there's this digital process that you talked about. How does how does that work when you're sculpt when you actually will start sculpting Grandma Gatewood when you when you figured out the pose when you figured out where she's going to go do you sculpt a smaller version and then transform it digitally into a larger version how, how does that process work Yeah, so that now that we've picked picked a pose now that we've picked a pose what I'll do is I'll make this small version the small maquette and I've started it in the studio now I take photographs of this model that came into the studio all the way around close-ups of the shoes etc and get this maquette done and then what i'll have is i'll have my um, 3d scanning company come in and with a 3d scanner they will take um they move around the sculpture measuring the points on the sculpture it creates a 3d model inside of the computer from there i can take that 3d model and i can revise it more depending on what i'm doing for example some people in some cases, this go directly from that maquette to a process that is new called um, direct 3D printment to, to print to investment casting. That means they may never touch it again. I will take that with Grandma Gatewood and I'm going to go to a CNC, which stands for Computer Numerically Controlled Milling. And what my um, vendor will do is they'll take my 3D model that's inside the computer and they may reduce it just a bit. So it may take out some of the detail. The reason why they're going to reduce it is because when they CNC mill it out of urethane foam, which is the coolest process to see, it's kind of like a glorified drill that goes around a router that goes around and takes away all of the space and leaves this urethane foam that I can carve. So 
I will go in and I'll carve deeper insets, et cetera. And then my interns will come in and they will take that and vacuum it off and put a layer of wax on there to seal it. And then we add a layer of clay. And from there, I can add the fine detail. It's kind of interesting because I always say off with her head. The heads always come off. I cut their heads off so that I can sit them in my lap, turn them upside down, work on them because everything's in the head. If it doesn't look like her in the face, then that's a difficulty. So I, I work on their heads and then I attach them back and et cetera, et cetera. And then we will go from the clay, the client will prove the clay. And then from the clay, we will go into um, mold making. And that is a process that's physically taxing to me and takes about three to four weeks where we have to painstakingly paint the, the sculpture with rubber and then do a mother mold, which holds that rubber in place. So that rubber could be plaster, it could be fiberglass, but a lot of times they're cut into pieces. Like Alice was cut into like 15 or 20 pieces and we make rubber molds in those pieces, send those to the foundry. Now in that rubber mold, they will then pour wax. So when you see a bronze outside or in wherever you see a bronze, it's not solid. It's just, you know, a very thin layer of bronze. Wow. That's why they're so worried about, you know, pollution and the rusting of it or whatever. So you have this thin layer of wax inside of this rubber mold, which held all the detail. They pull the rubber away. Now you have this positive. So we have, we'll have Grandma Gatewood in pieces all over in the foundry in wax. They take that wax and very carefully, and all this process is, is, documented on my website at creativesculpture.com. Also, we are documenting the process of creating Grandma Gatewood on grandmagatewood.com. We'll take these rods, these wax rods, and they call, we call it gating up. So what gating up means is that these waxes will then have um, areas where the wax, the, where the metal can pour in and where the gases can escape. So then they take these waxes after they gated up and they put them in a slurry mixture. So Part of it is slurry. Part of it is, is this sand silica shell. So when you're done, you have this wax that's covered in a thick shell. This can take like in a controlled environment, you know, six to 12 days or whatever. And then they take that shell and they go and they burn it out in a hot oven. So that's why they often call this the lost wax method of bronze casting. Because now the wax is melted out. You have a negative of what's in there. Um, and then they take that and... They put on these spacesuit things and pour the molten bronze in there. And it's just such a cool thing to watch. And we will definitely put that on the on the um, page. And then the, the metal is done. Once the metal's done, they have to bang off the shell and then they have to weld it and they have to go in and they have to grind off any of the bits. And once they weld everything together, they call me in and they say, is this right? And I take a marker and I walk around this and go, hey, nope, got to do this, got to do that, got to do this. So that's the whole entire process. So this process takes a really long time. And then there's delivery and installation. And I want to go back to that pose if I can, because when I was toying with the idea of the pose and connecting, when I see her in those poses, I think it's one of those things that she did. She struck this pose for the reporters, for the people, for the, but I think it pissed her off. <laughs> I think after a while she she got irritated that they were interfering with her her quiet time. And so I did not want to do that pose that everybody sees because I really didn't feel like that was Grandma Gatewood. Instead, I wanted to do one with her and her hiking stick going up, actually hiking and maybe then catching a thing and then turning and looking and just stopping for a second to catch that view To, And I wanted to do that also because I felt like that was if we, depending on where we put it, especially if we put it on a berm or something, then all the other hikers can get around her and pretend they're hiking up the berm too. So they're actually hiking with Grandma Gatewood. I'm so intrigued and interested by, by this process. When I think of clay, I always think of the movie Ghost. I don't know if you <laughs> that movie, but there's so much more involved, obviously, in this process, especially with this digital transformation. I find it incredibly interesting. And, and the fact that you are following the process and people can follow along on the website at grandmagatewood.com or your website, if you want to mention that again, but also it's, they can go there to donate, correct? 
Yeah. If you go to grandmagatewood.com and I have to, I'll put a plug in here for the movie at Eden Valley Enterprises and for the producers of the Grandma Gatewood movie, because they own that URL. And I was so pleased that they allowed us to take it over and to be able to record the process of creating Grandma Gatewood and all of the, all, all that it takes. And it was very interesting because about, oh, I don't know, three or 30 or 40 days ago, I got, I went to grandmagatewood.com and I went, oh my gosh, it's not working. Why isn't it working? And I was freaking out. So, you know, that's again, where that you go, we actually had to spend money to fix the grandmagatewood.com website so that it, cause it was so old, you know, it had to be able to work. It wasn't working on any Apple products, which is really, you know, takes half of your audience away. So we had to spend money to do the grandmagatewood.com website again, but we just finished it. It looks really good. I'm going back in and putting some new posts in there for the blog as we're moving forward. And so you don't even realize when you think about fundraising, what it takes. It, it's not just creating the sculpture. It was trying to be able to get the word out. And, and that's what I said. I went, oh my gosh, if I can't share my posts with people, <laughs> I feel like I'm talking to the wind. So thank you, Christina Sizemore. Thank you, Paul. And thank you um, for the person that owns the site and let us use the site and and gave us permission to spend money to change it. So, yeah. Yeah, well, well, thank you, Brigitte, for, for actually pushing this project. And you mentioned before, one will go on the AT Trail, but one will go at Gallipolis, Ohio, the Ohio Valley Memory Gardens. So you can check them out there. But I wanted to ask you for those little kids in Gallipolis, for the little kids throughout Appalachia that are interested in art, interested in creativity. I know you mentioned that you are a mentor, you are a coach, but you also are, are involved in teaching. And especially when it comes to STEM or STEAM, I know that's important to you. What advice would you give young people who are really interested in this process, may listen to this episode, interested in art in general, just to follow their dreams or uh, what other advice would you give them in regards to a career that you make for yourself? Thank you for asking. And that brings up a couple thoughts that I'd love to share. First of all, I want to share that um, Grandma Gatewood and um, it was it was by the gentleman who let us use the site that said Grandma Gatewood is evergreen, Peter Houston, meaning that it doesn't matter how old you are. Once you find out the story of this woman, you're inspired. And yeah. there are kids books and there are adult books, but there are kids books about Grandma Gatewood. Paul went to, um, what's it called? Yeah. Trail Days at Damascus. And this little girl came up and she told him everything about Grandma Gatewood. So um, I think that Grandma Gatewood is inspiring. STEAM stands for Science, Technology, and Engineering, Art, and Math. And I love to talk to the kids about it. With my Alice in Wonderland sculpture project, we used a ton of STEAM. And so with that, we also add literature to it. So, you know, it's not only science, technology, engineering, art, math, it's literature. Helping the kids to understand. And, and those things like 3D scanning, are great fields for young people to get into. It's not like you, you know, I'm going to go to the university and get a degree in 3D scanning. No, you get into a company and you start 3D scanning and then you move up into a thing that is not just, oh, I'm going to scan these valves over here at this valve company. But there are companies that also do scanning of architectural artifacts so that you have a digital historical preservation. If something should happen to, I don't know, um, the Eiffel Tower and they have a digital scan of it, then it could be um, restored to that. Um, there are some things that have been scanned that have been destroyed that we will never get back, but we have those in 3D scans. And even museums are starting to scan their, their um, items because then it also, there's things that you can't touch that you can't walk upon, that you can't go see because they are so volatile to, you know, people's presence. But if they're 3D scanned, then you can see them. So the 3D scanning and 3D technology offers so much, you know, you can 3D scan and, and, and 3D print and work with medicine as far as 3D, 3D goes. So Anything that you could think of, these things can touch. And it's just so fascinating. So I like to talk to the kids about STEAM. Um, I'm also going to tell you that, uh, here's a plug for my granddaughter. I uh, I teach also teach writing to my granddaughter. 
And over the last year, she and I and my family have made it our tradition, our goal, our family tradition to hit all of the state parks. Now, I don't know how many state parks you have in your state, but I think Texas has 90 or 80. We have a lot of state parks. As we've been traveling them, and and my 10-year-old granddaughter, who's been camping since she's two, is understanding the idea of hiking and ecology and uh, how just everything that you could think of. She and I have been writing a book about her travels. It has been so much fun by herself at the age of eight between the trails of her campsite and mine walks into a bison, a wild bison <laughs> and Caprock Canyon and how she handled that. It's just been so much fun to see how this generational thing, you can pass this on to your kids. I often wonder that is our love for this nature, for, for hiking, for the forest, for the woods, is that um, nurture or nature? Do we have it because our parents taught it to us or are we just there? So yeah, it's been fun to, to again, bring, pass this on to my granddaughter and watch her experiences with the woods, with hiking. Very deep. And let me ask you this. Have you ever hiked any portion of the AT? I, I have not. I'm okay. pretty far from the AT, but I do. What we're going to do is when we have the unveiling, we're going to do an unveiling in Ohio and we're going to make an event out of it. So we are going to Grandma Gatewood has a trail there. So we'll be do, hiking the trail. We hope as many people that will come to Ohio as possible. Then we, when we do the, put her on the AT, we'll do a similar event where we'll have uh, an unveiling and um, a whole rigmarole and then also hike the AT. I also have to say that I'm not a through hiker. I, I'm not a long distance hiker. And one of the reasons why is because, which is not known by many people, but just after I started Houston Women Hiking, I was diagnosed with um, interstitial lung disease and given two years to live. And oh, wow. so I was hiking for with oxygen for years. And I could only go as far as my oxygen tank would take me. I have worked really hard. It's a, it's a lung disease. It'll never go away. It's always there, but I've worked really hard with diet and exercise. And that's why I say I do, you know, meditative hikes in the woods with women to help them. And I think the woods has healed me. It's, it's what allows me to hike today without oxygen. Neil and I say all the time, there's a little magic in the mountains. Of course, we're talking about where we grew up in the Appalachian mountains, but I think in yeah. general, there's just a little bit of magic in the mountains. The trail magic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and I think that the trail magic term came from y'all. And I think trail magic is something that Houston Women Hiking has and that we find. So trail magic is everywhere. And trail magic is not just, oh, I got water when I needed water or I was hungry and somebody gave me a candy bar. It's these epiphanies that happen in the middle of the woods. It's the healing nature of the trees. You know, they have science that proves that the trees can heal you. Um, and that being in the woods and forest bathing can heal you. And um, it's just fascinating that this thing that we love is is healing our bodies. And I'm like, I'll just raise my hand really high. And, but I'm one of those that's healed my body. And I'm so glad. We would love to come down to Gallipolis when you have the unveiling and when you have the event. But also just want to thank you for being on the show. But we have a couple of questions that we ask all our guests, and I wanted to ask you um, here at the end of our episode, but what's the first thing you think of when you hear the word Appalachia? Grandma Gatewood, because like, I'm just surrounded by Grandma Gatewood <laughs> right now. So it could be Grandma Gatewood. I, and I have to say, like, when I do a sculpture, I do everything. So I'm reading about Grandma Gatewood. I'm, I've read the Barefoot Sisters. You send me any books you got, because I want to read them, because I want to be on the trail as I'm working on this project, it brings up all sorts of memories uh, and, and feelings. And I love to read about what people are experiencing on the trail and to see the images. That's what's inspiring to me because I'm looking at what Grandma Gatewood what saw, what she experienced. We, we kind of ground our podcast on place and perspective. Place is really important for not only Neil and I, but also Appalachia in general. So the last question that we typically ask our guests is just where do you call home? What makes it home for you? What makes it unique? 
home is family, being with family, wherever we are, we are home. It doesn't have to be my home. It doesn't have to be a physical place. Home is in the woods. It's camping. It's a nature for me. That makes me feel like I'm home kayaking on a lake or um, hanging around the campfire. We have this thing that we do when we, when the family is around the campfire. We call it, there's actually a game called the ungame, but Issa's writing it in her book and, and questions, you know, that you don't normally ask family members because you're too busy with your phones or the TV, you know, like what was your favorite memory as a kid when you were, would be in the woods or, you know, those type of questions that that's yeah. home to me when we're having those intimate bonds of connecting or looking at bison and Caprock Canyon together and just amazed or, you know, seeing Paladuro Canyon and going, oh my gosh, I didn't know we had another Grand Canyon in the United States. It's a Texas boy. This is incredible. So those experiences are home for me. That's a really great answer. It's always good. It's always neat to hear that perspective from different individuals. I, I want to thank you again for being a part of this episode, for sharing your knowledge, but also sharing a little bit more about Grandma Gatewood and the experience that you've had in this process. I want to give you one more opportunity just to let people know where they can check out the website, where they can donate if they would like to donate. Certainly. You can go to grandmagatewood.com. And there is a GoFundMe page. If you want to, if you'd prefer to send a check, you can. And I can certainly give you Paul's information or you can contact us through the website or through my website, which is creativesculpture.com. Please pass the word. If you can't donate money, people don't realize that something that's really, really important to a project and to a person when um, they're trying to do something is to share their posts. So if you can't don't donate money, then go to grandmagatewood.com, pick one of the posts or pick them all, you know, dedicate to sharing all the posts once they come out and then go to your social media and share and talk about it. And what that does is that not only helps to pass the word on, but the internet who has these great algorithms does all this crazy stuff behind the scenes by liking a post or sharing a post that is, you know, is very, very valuable to the project. And sometimes I feel like, oh my gosh, we have to raise so much money for Grandma Gatewood. But then I think who she was and how many people loved her. And I'm sure it's just going to happen like that. And we will be, you know, once we get to the point of finishing the maquette, we are stuck we are dead in the water until the rest of the money's raised. Thank you so much for supporting the project. Like I said, I have worked on a lot of different projects, but this one is really close to my heart. And I, I feel very, very honored. It's interesting. One other thing that I'm going to point out, you know, she carries a stick when she's hiking. I have a, a black walnut tree in my backyard and I have loved that black walnut tree for years. My granddaughter's swing is on that right next to it is is inside the limb of the tree embedded in is the chain from my daughter's swing that was on that tree and the oh, tree cool. died and i thought and i have to cut it down and i looked up at it and i said i'm taking that branch right there and using it as grandma gatewoods and taking a mold off of that and using that as grandma gatewoods stick that she's using to hike with and i think that is a resemblance for me is that it's generational. It is evergreen. Very cool. Thank you so much, Brigitte, for, again, for taking the time. We definitely appreciate it. And we will post all this in our show notes. If you didn't catch it, you can just look at our show notes. Thank you so much for having me. And as I always sign off with my ladies, see you in the woods. Will. Great stuff. What Brigitte has done with, uh, you know, protecting the legacy of Grandma Gatewood is just nothing less than impressive, man. Glad she came on and, and gave us gave us some of her time. It means a lot. She does incredible work, and you can check it out, like we mentioned on her website. We'll post that in the show notes. And check out the website if you want to donate to get this project accomplished. I think it will be Really cool, not only for the gravesite there in Gallipolis, Ohio, but also somewhere 
on the AT Trail. So check back in. We'll report back out when they actually announce where they're going to have it on the AT Trail. No doubt it'll be awesome. Hopefully some of our trailheads listening will will get on and contribute contribute to the cause. Do you have a business of the week for us, Will? I do. The app biz of the week in concert with kind of what Brigitte does. I wanted to mention, and we may have mentioned this before in an episode, but I wanted to make it the business of the week. Create Appalachia. It's a state-of-the-art co-working facility, community events, and expert-led programming that focuses on creative entrepreneurship. In Kingsport, Tennessee, their mission is to integrate art and business for the benefit of the region. They really drive economic development by supporting creative entrepreneurs in the region, especially those who combine art and technology, which is exactly what Brigitte was talking about. Some of their services are they offer co-working and private offices, regional partnerships, professional pro and professional programming. And their footprint is mostly in Tennessee, North Carolina, Virginia, and Kentucky, the Appalachian portions of those states. So we wanted to mention that Create Appalachia. It's really a cool organization doing great work in that part of Appalachia and Kingsport, Tennessee. Yeah, man, that's awesome. Anytime you're in uh Kingsport, make sure you stop in and check it out. CreateAppalachia.org. You can check them out online as well. All right, Neil. All right. Hearing from Brigitte, the acclaimed work that not only that she has done, but that she will do in regards to Grandma Gatewood, a really uh, informative figure in Appalachian history. So it's always good to talk <laughs> about Grandma Gatewood. Yep. And I guess since we're at the end, uh, we can end it like we usually do. Till next time. Peace. Now I'm back up where I belong in the mountains.